0: I'm putting it on record you can cut this it's your show but episode 100 I assume you're going to have Mike come on and be the interviewer
1: yes (laughs) that's what I have said yes
0: so episode 100 Mike Burton will be in your chair and you will be the geek can't wait
1: yeah I have the schedule it is on the schedule that is set for the 10th of April 2023
0: booked just just everybody that's only 23 months
1: in this crazy world we live in when people use the word geek it can create certain impressions in reality geek culture has never been more mainstream let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype i'm your super dummy paul this is geek
0: fantastic universes also um i have two shows on the comics and the notion network and i publish audiobook reviews at audiophile magazine i don't think i pub- i don't think i talk about that enough uh, they actually pay me which is insane so i they send me audiobook files i listen to them and then they send me 10 bucks when I write my review and the review is only 125 words. It's the greatest and I get to keep the books. I don't even understand. So audio file, I do that. I'm also, so yeah, Comics in Motion, I have Indie Comics Spotlight, which I've been doing, I think episode 72 is about to be out. So I don't know when this is coming out. So it could be 82 by the time this comes out because I know you're way far ahead. Jack and I also have um, Seasons Greetings, which was originally just gonna be me doing i talked to dave and said hey i was thinking about doing like a season by season buffy where i just kind of give my rambly thoughts about buffy and he's like yeah whatever you know how dave is and he's like that's a good idea so then but i just kind of got to know jack through uh, twitter and i didn't know him know him other than to have him on the show to do firefly and we really just hit it off he's such a great guy as you know from the first episode of this show he's just a, a great guy so I, I just reached out to him. I was like, Hey man, I want to do this Buffy show. You want to do it? And he was like, Holy shit. And it happened to be that I asked him on his birthday. I had no idea. So that was like the best birthday present apparently ever uh, for him. So that was cool. So, so anyway, I really enjoy that when we're doing the season by season, look at Buffy and we just, instead of it being binge and Buffy, when well, now it's season's greetings and we're going to keep it on where we do season by season, older shows. Uh, we have a list going obviously we're going to do angel next and probably firefly but we're going to then look at maybe start the original star trek next generation fringe is on the list which would be really fun for me because i never watched fringe so i think that'd be a lot of fun maybe alias is something jack wants to do and i loved alias so that's a fun show and then of course i write reviews at dc comics news and i don't write enough for fantastic universes i have like four reviews i want to do so sorry steve and adam it's just I uh, don't have, I, I could make more time, but I also get paid to read these audio, listen to these audiobooks. So, as I mentioned, so I spend a lot of time doing that and I read all the time. And I'm working on a second, I'm working on a novel and I'm about 70,000 words into that. So, uh, it's, it's not that I don't have time, it's that I prioritize my time. And unfortunately, and they're going to hear this and be like, what a dick. Fantastic universes, unfortunately, is, but it's because they're so nice because they're like, whatever, man, whatever you got, whatever you want to do something. So because they don't put any pressure on me, whereas with DC Comics News, I've been there for like four years now, maybe five. And so Josh, you know, we have a deadline. We in order to get the free comics we get from DC and Image, we have to put things out in all the indie comics at a certain time. So because I feel an obligation because of the deadline there, I'm a much better writer there. And more consistent than at Fantastic Universes. So that's my long-winded who I am and where you can find me around the internet.
1: Are you able to talk about what the book's about? Are you able to talk much about it?
0: Oh, my book, sure. Um, so my original masters was in just education for teaching adults, because I teach adults. And then um, I was just kind of used that for a while, and I got a you know, I got a full-time job using that and um I had to choose between getting a PhD or getting an MFA and in the United States, a terminal degree is just something where you can't get another degree in that. So you can get a a doctorate in creative writing, but it's a PhD in creative writing. And I earned a master's of fine arts in creative writing. And so there's not a DFA, that's not a thing. So uh, it's an honorary degree. So I got an MFA in creative writing and I wrote a book called The Will, um, which is this seven different first point of view perspectives of this family, and it's mass mess. I mean, I love that book. I'm proud of that book and I'm trying to sell it right now. But it's like I would just say to aspiring writers, don't write in first person point of view from seven different people. That's really hard because I had to keep seven different points of view and the way that they speak, their tone, they're all in my head at the same time. So that was really hard, but that was really challenging. And I love that. But it was a book for adults it doesn't have like a serial killer in it. So it's hard to sell because books for adults now are generally, you know, that they're crime fiction or they're romance. And it's none of those things. It's just a a regular book for regular people who hate their families. That's kind of what it is. Um, and so <laughs> that's a, that's the log line, but the new book. So I was like, okay, so the new book is a modern day retelling of a Jane Austen novel. So Uh, I'm a big Jane Austen fan. My wife and I love Jane. Um, And so Mansfield Park is the one that I think gets the most stick because Fanny Price, the main character, everybody thinks she's kind of boring and she's not even really the star of her own book. But I love Fanny and I think her earnestness is misunderstood. So I thought, well, I'll do this modern day retelling. I'll set it as new adult, which means she's like off to college, you know, instead of young adult where she's still in high school. And um, so I'm doing that and I'm almost, I'm about 70,000 words in and about 90,000 is what I think it'll end up being. So that's been a lot of fun trying to take the greatest writer in English (laughs) since Shakespeare and try to make her voice my own, which has been really hard, Um, but it's fun because sometimes I'll drift into like really Jainisms and the the sentence structure and everything will feel really formal, but it's been fun. I changed the character's name from Fanny price. Cause in the book, she's Francis price. The second, her mom is also Francis price. So they call her Fanny. That would be the name. It was like, I'm not calling a, a woman in 2021 Fanny. So I've just called her junior. So she's junior price. She's the Fan- Francis price junior. So they call her junior. So that's what I do. So it's been a lot of fun though, to, to write. And um, it, it, I cracked the ending the other day. I know how it's going to end. So maybe by the time this comes out, I'll have a draft done and I'll be working on a second draft. So that's the book. And I feel like with a young adult slash middle, you know, new adult book, those sell way better. Those can be about nothing for whatever reason. Teenagers are content with reading books about just life where adults need somebody to die for some reason for the book to sell. So the hope is I give an agent, I'll sell that book. And then people will be like, what else do you have? I'm like, I've got this other book you should also read it. So those are the, those are the things I work on. It's
1: interesting you say that because as soon as you said young adults are happy with just a story of people existing, my immediate thought was, well, that's reality TV.
0: (laughs) It is true. It is true that you're right. That may be part of it. I don't watch a lot of reality TV. Sorry, Chris and Dave. Um, I will admit that when reality TV started in America, I was in college with the real world and I know they're doing a real world on MTV a reunion of the original cast. And I, I will admit to being tempted. Um, I have not watched it. I don't know if it's out yet or whatever, but I liked that. And then actually Judd Winnick, this is all kind of come full circle, was on one of the real worlds and he actually is a comic book writer. Um, So I actually knew who Judd Winnick was from that. And so then when he became a comic book writer, I was like, hey, that's the guy from the real world. He actually did. He's the one who brought Jason Todd back from the dead. That's the same guy. Crazy. Yeah. He was on like real world San Francisco or something. So anyway, it's crazy how reality TV does have a few gems in there, but you're right. um, I don't watch reality TV, but you're right. I do think that maybe that's the appeal to it is it's just like, real life drama, like the drama in existing, as opposed to I'm solving a crime. And I love dystopian books. And there's a lot of YA dystopian books that do really well. Obviously, you know, Hunger Games is the most uh, the most popular of the last 20 years. And all of my kids have read all of those. And all the Scott Westerfeld books are great. And I love a good science fiction, young adult adventure. Those are fantastic. But I think John Green, uh, Rainbow Rowell, these kinds of writers for young adults, have been able to just tell regular stories about regular life, and they do really well. And there's a market for that. So, and I like to read those. I still read those kinds of books. So I'm it's it's it was an easy neat place for me to fall in. The next book I have in mind is actually a middle reader book. So I'll just keep going down. Eventually, I'll write a picture book. I guess is how it is. I'm I've got a uh, this was an adult book. I've got this YA slash new adult book, and then I've got a middle reader book. that I've started actually. Um, so that's just sitting on the back burner. So again, one day it'll be like Numbers with Tony. It'll be like the one makes a wah sound. And that'll be the book that'll probably sell. It's interesting because I think that when I'm not a geek, I still am. Because so when I was 12, I decided I would be an English teacher. And there were two moments in my life that made me realize that. One was something my grandpa said, and one was my seventh grade I don't know what you guys call that. Um, my Canadian friends call it grade seven and it's the same. I don't know what that is for you. I was 12. (laughs) Most people were 13. So whenever that is, um, for my British friends, but so my grandpa, I grew up on a fruit farm. My grandparents had a fruit farm and, uh, my mom's, my mom's parents. And I was just free labor on the weekends and in the summers and I just worked. I learned how to work on that farm. And, uh, like I'm bad with a clock because when you work on a farm, there's no clock. You work until the job is done. So it may be that you're done at noon one day or 7 p.m. or whatever. So my grandpa said, um, there's really only two things worth doing, farming and teaching. And I was like, well, this sucks. This sucks. I've got calluses on my hands. I've been damaged. I've got harm to my body from doing this farming job. I'll check into that. Um, that was, So that was just always there. And then in seventh grade, and so I've always been a reader. I've I've read I could read when I was three and um, I've been reading ever since. And so by the time I got to seventh grade, whatever you guys call it in England, grade seven Canadians, um, I, uh, I, we were reading Dickens, Great Expectations. And I had already read it. And my English teacher said, she's like, there is no value of you sitting in here, watching your classmates try to get through this book that most of them probably didn't read. Why don't you just do something else? Cause she knew it. I'd already read it. So, uh i said okay i'll something dickens related so i wrote my own version at age 12 of a christmas carol you know the most dickensy thing there is and i wrote it as a play and she liked it and she's like well oh, go okay go do something with it so i grabbed a couple of, of friends and we put it on we, pr- we created a play a my own version my updated whatever year that was version of um of a Christmas carol. And she liked it so much that she convinced the school that that could be the Christmas play for the year, the middle school Christmas play. So, a play that I wrote and cast and directed and we staged it and everything. So, that was pretty cool. And so, you'd think like, you'd be like, okay, so that means Tony, you're a playwright. And while I still write and I write all the time, it was she, what that moment that my teacher, Mrs. Alsborough, said, she saw something in me, she figured out what it is I needed. And she gave it to me. Like she she as a teacher, she gave me what I needed. And so those two things, my grandpa saying teach, and um my seventh grade teacher being like, here's how you can grow as a person, that was pretty much it for me. I was like, okay, I'll always wanna write, I'll always wanna do all these other things, but um, but being an English teacher, I can I know most people don't want to be English teachers, but English teachers can impact your life because you're going to be an accountant or you're going to be a nurse or you're going to be um, in marketing. You all have to write. You all have to communicate in some way. So because so I managed to turn my passion for reading and writing just into a job. So when you say, what do I do when I'm not being a geek? I'm always this. This is what I am. Um, It's never not. I'm never not doing this. Um, one of our daughters says, uh, my wife and I have blended our family. We didn't have any kids together, but we brought our kids, you know, we brought our kids from previous marriages together. So her youngest daughter, one time was sitting at the dinner table with us and we were just yapping about a book. And she's like, this is like, I'm watching the world's smallest book club. And literally at least four times a week, my wife and I have completed the same book. We read different books a lot of times, but I'd say we each read over 200 books a year between audiobooks and written books. And I'd say half of them we read are the same. So just yesterday, uh, we bo- she finished Andy Weir's new book that I had finished a couple days before. And I finished reading this Swedish translated science fiction fantasy book called Amokta that she had read a few days before. So at dinner, that's what we talked about. All dinner, Project Hail Mary and this Amokta book. And that's so like, I'm never not nerding. Like, I can't say I have anything else to do. I teach English. I teach writing for adults at Santa Heights University in Michigan. I've been teaching. I graduated college in 1995, and I started teaching. I graduated in May. I taught my first class in June, and I've never stopped. I have taught year-round. I don't take summers off since May of 1995. I've been teaching at the college level. Not full-time, but I've been teaching. So I did other jobs. I was a carpenter. I did other construction work. I sold carpet, whatever, you know, while I was trying to get the full-time teaching job, but I've never stopped teaching. I've never stopped thinking about books and art and the impact those things have on life. And so I'm never not in, I'm never not geeking out. So it's hard. So I can't say that I have another thing uh, because it's all I do. So I turned the thing I loved into a job. Not like, I'm not a comic book writer. That would be sweet, right? But um, I get to write about comic books though. I'm talking to you. I don't get paid to do that stuff, but I still get to do it. It's just one of those things where I just, I'm, I'm one of the, you know, and I know it's like super trite to people say, find a thing you love to do and you're never working. It's super true. I mean, there are definitely days where I log into class. I, I've been teaching online for the last eight years. So the pandemic came and I was lucky enough to be in a good, good shape because i have been years before I quit teaching on ground in the classroom, which I had been doing since 1995. I started teaching fully online and I'd say the early days of the internet, I graduated college when the internet was still a baby, you know, we didn't really have it. Um, and so I started teaching as the internet happened. So from 95 on. And so when, when online classes and hybrid classes was the first thing I did where you teach on ground for half the time. And then the other half of the class would be online to free up classroom space. That was really what we were doing. So I started, I learned, I trained, I figured out how to do that work. So when the online, opportunities came I'd been doing it for years I wasn't a rookie Um, I knew how to teach online so uh, it was an easy transition for me I'm one of those fake extroverts who really isn't one at all like because I can I was in a punk band in college and I can I can fool anybody I can stand in front of a room with 10,000 people and do whatever I'm never embarrassed I'm not shy I can teach in front of I've had classes as small as six people and I've had classes with 45 people and I've I played in my band in my college in front of the entire college campus, which my college was small, but still it um, doesn't matter. None of the no shame at all. But uh, at the end of the day, what I really would just like to be alone with a book, you know, or with my wife with a book. You know, I'm like, really? So I, so I just faked everybody else so when the, the opportunity came to teach online. Everybody thought, "Well, oh, you're going to hate it because you love to be in the classroom. And it, it didn't. I just love to teach. It's not so much being in the classroom. Uh, virtual classroom is still the classroom. I'm still engaging with my students. I'm engaging with them more, you know, than I ever did. Because when you think about an on-ground class that meets three or four hours a week, you can only talk to each student so many so many minutes in two hours or four hours. When you're online and the discussion lasts an entire week instead of four hours, every student I get to respond to every student twice a week, and I can take my time writing back to them. And I know them way better. And I have a student right now who's from Japan spent last semester in the Ukraine and who's in Mexico right now, that would never happen. I would never know that student, you know, if it weren't for this kind of format. Yeah, she's really great. She's like obviously the smartest person in the world because she. that means she speaks Japanese, Spanish, English, and she was in the Ukraine for a while. So she was speaking Russian too. I think she's like 21. So I don't even understand what her, what her brain is like. Uh, but that's just super cool for me. Right. To be like, that's a student of mine. Like that's super cool. And um, so, yeah, so I just, I've always loved the job and, and it's just something. So the idea being that you find the job that you love and because I get to talk about writing and creative, I have a whole unit on just thinking critically. So everything I do is that, because you always say to me, it's like, dude, how do you find all the details and everything? It's just, cause that's what I'm doing all day long. Like, the clocks, when we talked last about the clocks and um, in Joe Hill's book. But it's just like, because that's what I do all day, I'm trying to find the little things. How do I keep this conversation going? How do I get a reluctant student who's not interested in whatever I've read, whatever I've given them to read? What's the nugget I can find in their discussion post? They'll respond to my initial question, and I'll find one word sometimes in their post. Be like, well, you said this. Let's talk about that. And then I and then I force them into have a longer conversation with me while they're talking with the rest of their classmates in the written discussion. But I'm saying, you said this phrase. This is the one thing I want to talk about. I don't care about the rest. I mean, I do, but I don't. Let's talk about that. So I'm always looking for the small things to get them thinking and to keep the conversation going. So it's like, that's the job. Um, so I'm just constantly looking for those little details. And it does bleed over into life. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard. You, you can't just like look at something and be mindless because you're always looking for the, what's the hidden message there? I think that's why I like the Sharknado's movies so much because there's no, there's no message. That's six movies of pure, utter stupidity. And I love them all so much because there's nothing else going on. This is this, this is what's on the screen. There's no subtext in the Sharknado's movies. It's just text. And I love it. The best thing about it is that Tara Reid thought she was in a real movie. If you've ever seen the Data movies, like, Tara Reid thinks that's real. Like, she doesn't get what's happening. Everyone else gets it. She does not. I think she thinks she's in something else. But that also makes the joy of it. It's like just to watch her be awful when everyone else is being awful on purpose and she thinks she's that. It's just fantastic. So anyway, but I definitely do that. I can't shut it off. So whatever it is we're watching, I'm always thinking, like, what's the other... What's the other thing that's happening here? So we just watched, and I don't know if it's been released over there, but Sarah Bareilles just has a new show out. It's called Girls 5 Eva, and it's about a re- it's about a girl group from the late 90s, early 2000s who reunites. And it's fan- it is so goddamn funny. Oh, my God, it's great. Tina Fey is one of the writers. Um, but so if you could just look at it for pure silliness, like you're making fun of that you're fine. But there's this extra layer. So even while I'm just enjoying the silly, funny, dumb songs, which they're great and the acting is good. And it's just a lot of fun. It's a great show. Um, tight scripts, everything is good. But I'm always thinking like, well, what is the other comment that they're making here about there's um in there when they're listening back to their old songs that they sang in the original 90s Girl 5 Eva stuff and how awful it is and how like, there's a whole song about wanting to be a side piece. And it's like, you know, I'm your broken girlfriend and this stuff. And it's just like, you would, you think, so what is the comment? I mean, it's, it's there, but it's also like, you can just listen to that and laugh and go, haha. But then you look at yourself and you're like, well, what are the lyrics? What are the songs I sang along to in 1999? What are the words that I didn't think about at the time? You know? So, so even in this silly, funny, really enjoyable comedy, I loved it. I hope it gets picked up. It was delight. Um, there's another layer there. There's another thing to think about. So I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind it, but there are definitely times where i just like, okay, I just want to shut it off. I'm just going to watch, you know, Sharknado or to be frank, the CW superhero shows. There's not a lot of thinking going on in that. Those are super formulaic and I know Chris hates them for that because it's like, it's like you're watching a soap opera. That is exactly what it is. Just, I can watch the flash. I don't have to think too hard because it's every episode is exactly the same. So there are those moments where I want to shut it off, but um, I think that's also where Seasons Greetings came from It's because it's like, well, I want to enjoy Buffy and love it for what it was because I watched it in real time. Those first four seasons I did, and then I had kids, so I didn't. But, um, you know, thinking back to what did I why did I like those so much and how does that hold up? So so I'm even having fun doing analysis. I can't help myself. When Jack and I interviewed Dan Waters who did, whose Homesick Pilots is out right now, and when he did uh, Coffinbound. So the second half of Coffinbound, at the beginning of each of these four books of Bound, there's a line from a Kierkegaard book. So I just went and read the whole book before I interviewed Dan Waters, just because. I was like, I need to know why. And even, I think even during the interview, he's like, yeah, but Kierkegaard already did that. I'm not doing that. I'm just like, I'm making my own commentary on it. But I like had all these whole questions about, well, this line is in your book and this is in the Kierkegaard. Like, I just can't help it. So that was fun for me to sit and read some Kierkegaard before I talked to Dan Waters about a comic book that 14 people read. Um, so I, so it's okay. It's it's fun. You know, it's still fun for me. I don't, but there are definitely moments where you want to be like, okay, I'm just going to, I just want to stare out the window um, and not do that or watch NATO or the CW. But even the music I listen to, I don't listen to a ton of like most of the music I listen to, even that has, you know, stuff going on. Sometimes you just want a silly pop song. Like I love some bubblegum punk. You know, the uh, the Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack, I got to admit, is amazing. I love, it. I love that entire soundtrack. It's so great. It's just silly fun. Um, I like that kind of music. But I do still want, even like the Ramones, one of my top three favorite bands, Um even there, even like, now I want to sniff some glue, makes it seem like you're like, well, I get what that's about. But is it? I mean, you're, there's an argument about what's happening at the time that that song was written and what's happening to these young street kids and why do you need to sniff some glue? What is it that you're trying to do? Like, what what's wrong with reality that you need? To... So even there, even just listening to like dumb punk music, I still am looking for the next thing. I can't help it. I'm not saying I'm right. That's the thing too. I'm not one of those English teachers or who's like, my way is the only right way. And if you think now I want to sniff some glue is about something different than me, you're wrong. You may think, now, I can't believe you even talked about that. That song's dumb. <laughs> Why would you think about it at all beyond it's two and a half minutes of of noise with four ugly men in black jackets singing? Fair. That's totally fair. I'm fine with that too. So, I Like I said, I love my job and I think about my job all the time. And there must it must be pretty freeing, though, to not. I mean, you know, I can't help it. So it could be... 7.30 at night, I could just look over my wife and I have this thing. Oh, here would be something cool I could do in class or like this other book I'm reading. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could work class. Could I work this essay in? I'm always thinking about it. So it must, it must, but I like that. But if you don't, it must be nice to make a good living and not have to think about it and not have to worry about it to not bring work home. And, you know, so if you're good at that, I, I, I think that's awesome. I'm not, and again, because I'm an introvert and obviously the dream is, you know, for a lot of people, if you could just if for all of us nerds, all of us geeks is the word you're using. So I apologize, I keep saying nerds, but, um, you know, getting a job in art would be amazing. Like, that would be a great job, you know, to, to be able to be like, oh, what's your full time job? Oh, I do this. Like, Sam, who did our amazing picture, he's a full time artist. That's his job. I've seen his office, I've interviewed him. I know it is, that's his workspace. It's like drawings and shit all over. And it's pretty cool. Like, that's a dream job for a lot of people. Uh, to be able to be creative and do art and make a living off of it so i just think everybody's got you know something different that they love and that's good and i think you know our common ground is this nerdy comic booky world movies and tv and everything for whatever reason we've all found our way there because there's an escape from whatever it is so whether it's an escape in some case or whether it's just like a reinforcement of the things that you love because of course I grew up a DC fan. I always liked Marvel too, but my but my favorite Marvel character was Nightcrawler. He's super complicated because he looks like a demon and he's treated like a demon, but in a different world, he'd be a priest. He's the most religious character in all of the X-Men. So that's such a cool concept that you've created a demon character who believes in God so much and who, if he weren't born Nightcrawler, if he weren't Kurt Wagner, fuzzy elf, but just Kurt Wagner, regular guy, he'd be a priest right now. And so it's such a cool thing. So I, I just find his, and his ability to be so happy all the time and to be, um, you know, like he shouldn't be. Like if you look like Nightcrawler, it's hard to wake up and be chipper every day. So there's this weird commentary about his faith and, his, and how that brings him. And I'm not a person, I was raised Catholic, but I quit that team. And so, you know, but to see how that can bring joy to some people. And so it's just, again, even in the, the nerdy stuff that I love, I'm coming at it from that perspective. I'm coming at it from the place of what is the second layer here? What is the psychological trauma that Bruce Wayne is going through? Why is Tim Drake my favorite Robin? Because he didn't, I grew up a Tim Drakey kind of life, you know, just a book nerd who was interested in things. I didn't have trauma. My parents stayed married. You know, like Tim Drake's life was pretty okay, yet he still chose to be Robin. He isn't, he doesn't become a superhero out of trauma. You know, Kurt Wagner doesn't make the make the trauma of being born nightcrawler define him he's like i'm gonna be a hero because i'm a hero you know so it's like so the even in this stuff even in this nerdy stuff that i love i'm always looking at it i was never just like cool i hope batman punches that guy and don't get me i love batman 66 i think there's a lot of joy there but it's also like the little kid in me who saw batman 66 and was just on reruns was like oh but then as an adult you look back at batman 66 you're like oh my god they're totally making fun of things like this is at the height of the comic book censorship stuff. And Batman 66 is saying, is this really what you want? Is this what you want your comics to be? And there's that. They're making fun of how silly and watered down. And, you know, we're going to put Batman and Robin in a snow cone instead of, you know, so it's like the dumbest shit ever, but it's commenting on the comics code, in my opinion. So, you know, but sometimes it's just like, I'm just going to shut my brain off and watch Hulk smash. And that's also fine. You don't have to think about the social commentary that is Hulk. You could just be like, Hulk smash. Well, let's go. And that's great, too. So we all find our joy in, the, in some way, whether it in, enhances what we love or it takes us away from work or whatever and just lets us not think about it at all. There's a picture of me uh, that my mom, we say mom with an O over here. Gave me. It's always weird. I don't know the reason for that. That is always fascinating to me. That's nothing. Again, part of why I do what I do. I suppose. But anyway, um, she showed me a picture of myself and my sister. I must have been three or four, and I was holding a Batman action figure. Uh, it's just been my earliest memory. I was four years old, 1977. I was just not even four, so it was May of 1977. I'm at the drive-in movie theater. It was a big thing in the 70s, and so you would go in. Everybody would have a green station wagon and you'd take your family and you'd take a speaker and I'm not making this up. It was like a three by five, three inches by five inches. I don't know what that translates to because we still use inches. Do you guys use inches this big? I don't know. Sorry. Only old
1: people use <laughs> oh. inches. Sorry.
0: Okay. <laughs> Super small speaker that you would put on the window. You'd get one speaker. I, <laughs> you get one speaker. I'm just going to let that go. And you'd hook it on your window. And that was the whole movie was through that speaker. Okay. So imagine that one mono speaker. This is how you see why it probably didn't take on, take off. Um, Although during the pandemic over here, you know, drive-ins came back. You could tune in through your radio. But so we used to go all the time and there would always be a double feature. So you pay a flat rate for your whole car. So you could cram as many people in a station wagon and you'd pay like 20 bucks and everybody gets two movies. The first movie was always for kids, and the second movie was always not for kids. So uh, we would do that all the time. And so I was four years old. It was May of 1977, and it was Star Wars. And it's my earliest memory in life. Um, I I was at the drive-in, and in the 70s, the 70s were just trying to kill us. That's what my wife and I always say. Like, children were left alone, and nobody cared. So we're at this thing with a bunch of cars. People are in their cars moving around, and at the front of the... at, At the base of this big screen, there was a playground. So my cousin and I... We're at the playground and doing whatever. I'm four. He's almost six. So we're four and five alone at the playground in the sea of green station wagons. And Star Wars starts. And I don't remember why I was so excited. I don't know what it was. I don't know how the marketing worked on my little four-year-old brain. But I we just screamed and ran and like bounced off of these station wagons, running back to our cars. We got to sit on the roof. And that's it. And that's the memory. And of course, I've seen Star Wars so many times I could get up. We could act it out right now if you wanted to the original Star Wars. Um, it's now episode four, but that is it. So that happened. There's a picture of me with Batman. So there was just something in me. I don't know about this, this need to, to live in these fantasy worlds. And so that was it. And then the next year was Raiders. And then you had, I got to see Blade Runner at way too young and anything with Harrison Ford in it, they let me see. So, so that was just kind of it. And I think the Batman 66, show existed there was um a uh, an iron man comic book uh, cartoon and the speed racer cartoon came on and i loved that speed racer cartoon i still love speed racer i love speed racer i've got on my desk here um i have a set of speed racer cards that are actually shaped like speed racer yep i love speed racer and so that was always there just cartoons and stuff and comic book cartoons the old super friends, which were always absurd. I even questioned them as a child. It's like Superman would be like, I see you on the screen. They would always talk through. They was about tell not show. Like you're watching a cartoon. I can see on the screen that something bad is happening. But Superman would be like, There's a hurricane. I should fly away. And then he would fly away. We're like, dude, I see you. See what's happening. So so anyway, as time went on, I um, you know, I don't remember really having comic books. I just read book books. And then uh, I got my first comic book, which was a Green Lantern when I was, you know, I always say 12, but mathematically I was probably 11. I was just think of it in terms of 12. Um, that end of my sixth grade and in, going into my seventh grade year, I got a Green Lantern uh, comic and it was like, what is happening? And then I got a detective comics, which was weird that my first one was a Green Lantern, not a Batman. It doesn't make any sense because I loved Batman always and Batman and Robin. And so then that was it. Then I was done. And um, where I'm from, there are these things where uh, poor people and working class people like my family was go on the weekends. They're called flea markets. I don't know if you guys have them where people would like bring their junk from like their garage and shit and set up a table and then sell it for a quarter. And um, so through that, and I worked, uh, my grandparents had a farm and yes, I did not get paid on the farm. But so to that end, there'd be like, if I wanted stuff, I could use, air quote money that i never got so it'd be like oh we'll pay you 20 bucks which really just meant i want these comics And they'd be like okay you know i never really got any money money um but so i um i just started buying comics at the at the um flea markets and whatever it'd be like what's in this box don't care 10 bucks for this whole box and i would be like 500 comics boom And that was it. And then my cousin, um, the Star Wars cousin, um, Noom, his name is Jim, but I couldn't say Jim when we were little, so I called him Noom. So still to this day, I call him Noom. He's 49 years old and I call him Noom. And um, so he and I would just like read comics. He got way into Marvel. I got way into DC. And so we would trade. Um, And it just so just from that journey on. And so through those things, uh, I've just never stopped um, caring. When i had kids and was broke again being broke as a child you don't realize how poor you are when you're a child or how working class you are you know you don't realize what you're struggling with when you're an adult and you have kids you're like oh this is what broke is so in college i actually my senior year in college i sold my comics to pay rent for the year and so that so i sold all my comics that i had been collecting from like 12 to 21. i sold them all and that was where i got my um my robin tattoo my tim drake I took $45 out and I got my Tim Drake tattoo of the Robin there. And then, and so then that was it. I've never collected comics again, but I've never stopped reading them either. So like through libraries, um, through friends collections or whatever, I would I would get them. There was probably two or three years where I just didn't, right when I was getting divorced from my first wife, of a, of my kid's mom. And during the early part of our marriage, I just didn't have that kind of time because my two girls are uh, Irish twins. So they're less than a year apart this is hard to just kind of, and my ex-wife had an older daughter too. So you're trying to have three kids and read comics. just didn't happen. So I would do my best to try to just like pay attention. The internet was a baby. So I could get on and kind of read some things. And then after we got divorced, I just went back to the library and, you know, binged everything that I could. Um, and so now when I buy comics, I buy them digitally, but for the most part, I still check them out from the library I use Supla digital. So, uh, and then obviously, um, before I met my wife, Buffy happened, and that was life-changing. I just watched Buffy on regular TV with an antenna no cable and everything. So I've just never not liked this stuff. I've, ne- I've always loved fantasy and science fiction because I always feel like san- fantasy and science fiction stories have an extra layer of story to tell. Again, we talked earlier about my novel. Part of what makes my novel just like, here's what happens. There's I think there's subtext, but it seems boring because it's just like people standing around doing shit. But in science fiction and fantasy, it's always action and it's adventure and whatever. But there's also um, something else, right? Um, my, my parents, again, 70s and 80s parents were bad parents and we watched stuff. Um, we got a VCR, and my parents um, was probably 85. So I was 12, 11, 12. And we got a, um, the first movie we ever watched on our VCR was Friday the 13th, part three, in 3D. So I was 11, whatever, watching that. And uh, so I watched a lot of those. I watched all the Friday the 13th movies and whatever I could just get my hands on, whatever kind of weird, crazy shit. So that's my geek journey. And I've just never stopped. And I've always been writing. I used to write comics and write plays. I told you about the play and writing books and writing stories. And and so I just always lived in this other place. And my, uh, my desk, I've got the Speed Racer thing. I've got a Nightwing. I've got a Batman. I've got a Buffy. I've got a Hulk. I've got a Robin. Like all these figures are just sitting on my desk, got a Tinkerbell, you know, um, Peter Pan, the original Peter Pan is, um, one of my favorite books ever, ever written. I think it's beautiful and, it, and it's horrific. Uh, it's pretty dark, man. It's pretty dark. Um, but there's something lovely about it too. It, it like shines a light on being a 12 year old boy. And so that book has always resonated with me. I have four or five copies of that. Um, so I've always loved Tinkerbell, uh because of what she represented to Peter and um, so I've got a Tinkerbell sitting on my desk too. So it's just like my life is just nerd. That's what it is. I can't help it. That. So that's why I, I can't say why I'm a geek. Just I always have been. It's just been in my, it's just been in my DNA. And my parents didn't like this stuff. My parents weren't science fiction. My mom was a reader. She's the reason I read. But my dad didn't. My dad liked westerns. Um, you know he didn't like Star Trek. He didn't like, he thought Star Wars was fine. But um, yeah, for the most part, I mean, he watched, we watched Bruce Lee films when I was way too young to watch Bruce Lee films. Like, again, I watched all these movies that I shouldn't have watched, but he didn't care for that stuff. He liked dumb slapstick fraternity, like Animal House is his favorite movie. And as a kid, I saw Animal House. It's fucking awful. It's essentially the plot is a bunch of dumb white fraternity boys, you know, look at naked girls jumping around and do stupid shit. The end. It's the dumbest movie. I hate it so much. Um, as an adult, as a kid, I saw it a million times. I was like, oh my God, so awesome. Yeah, so the most science fiction thing he probably liked was Ghostbusters. Which as an adult, I've learned to dislike. But I liked as a child. It was one of the few movies we saw together um, in the theater with like me and him. Um, but uh, yeah, I you know just... I don't like it as an adult. He loved it still, um, all the way till the time he passed away. He thought Ghostbusters was great. And As an adult, I, again, that critical eye, I'm like, oh, this is really bad. I think it's aged poorly. That's all. I can't get past it. You know, the first book I, I had late, de- late fees for from the library was Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. It's, that was the first. So I walked up to the library on my own because, again, 70s. It wasn't like it was around the corner. It was like a mile or so away. And I got this book. I had my own library card. And I didn't know at the time, like nobody really explained to me, you've got to take it back. And I loved Where the Wild Things Are. so much. I kept it. I hid it on the top. I had like a standing closet in my room and I like hid it up there. And super late fees. And the first book I stole from the library. Um, how sad. My wife's a librarian. She was shocked when I first told her I stole that book. But I was like five. Um, so I think that was it. I loved that. That's a, that's a, that's a fantasy story about a Uh, like an angry boy who just wants to be left alone in his mind. And he, you know, and he sails away and there's these monsters and he becomes the king of the monsters. And it's just, I love, I love it. So good. Um, So that had been it. Um, But my parents were never like ones to explain things to me. Everything was a book. So it was like, Oh, I'm curious about this. Here's a book. I'm curious. So I just think it just kept happening. Um, And so everything was books. And so at some point in time, you feel like what's in your house is finite. I think at the time comic books were really cheap. They were so cheap and I was buying used ones. So I was literally buying hundreds of comic books for like 10 bucks. So I just think it was an easy accessible thing. And they never discouraged me because they, they understood I just wanted to be left alone and read. I was a straight edge kid in high school. I didn't drink or smoke or anything. He just wants to be left alone and read. They just left me alone. Like I couldn't sleep when I was a kid. So they gave me like a little six inch black and white TV. So um, and we were close enough to Chicago in our part of Michigan. So with an antenna, I could get, there's a channel called WGN out of Chicago. And so you could get like late night horror movies. And that was actually when I saw Rock and Roll High School, which for the first time on a small little six inch black and white screen TV, which was a which is a movie where the Ramones come and blow up a high school at the end. It's, I have the... Lunchbox up there, actually, a Ramones Lunchbox. I still, Rock and Roll High School changed my life. I didn't know you could do that. So I just think because they just left me alone with my devices. And so I found this crazy art and music and whatever. Um, My sister was four years older. Um, She didn't discourage it either. It's like no one ever said, that's stupid. You know, it wasn't until I got into high school when it wasn't cool anymore. So Batman 89, I graduated high school in 91. So my first two years of high school superheroes weren't cool and the second two years of high school superheroes were super fucking cool so i remember going out in public with my batman 66 shirt on and it was the one you know with the adam west face on it and everything on the bat symbol i have another version of it as an adult still and i remember being somewhere it was me and noom and somebody's like oh where's robin blah 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 and i didn't care i was just used to whatever and then you know a year later all these people are wearing like every booth and every store sold the Batman t-shirt because Batman 89 came out, it changed everything. So I just never cared. Like actually my my <laughs> one of my senior pictures, I don't know if you guys do that, but in our country during your senior year, you get like fancy pictures for the yearbook. So um I took my black trench coat, which I always wore, and my bat, sh- my bat stuff, and one of my senior pictures. The guy put a- had a pole that he put up, and it was me leaning against the pole with my black trench coat and my Batman's gear on, like my Batman shirt and everything. So, just they never discouraged it. They never said like, "Don't be weird." I would. I played American football, and before every game, I'd go to the. I'd go early in high school, and I'd get dressed. I'd be in the. An hour in the locker room before anybody else got there. Full pads, full gear, sit down, read comics before every game. So it's just always was there. No one ever told me not to do it. So they didn't They didn't encourage me. They just didn't tell me not to. So I think that was it. Like they weren't ashamed of me being, they didn't, they raised a nerd. They didn't care. And so um, my cousin knew him. He didn't care. And then the person who went it. Went on to be my best friend from high school. Beck, she was in his grade. She never cared. Um, she moved to she moved to my town when I was in seventh grade and she was in eighth grade. And we were rivals then, but then we became really great friends through high school and are still friends to this day. And she lives out in Colorado, also an English teacher, so go figure. Um, but um so she never cared, like people just didn't care. I had I even had a girlfriend and everything who didn't care. Like there wasn't anybody who was like, this is weird. Don't do this. There were plenty of people who said that, but I just didn't hear them or I didn't care. I think because I was, I didn't go to parties and stuff that much. Cause I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I wasn't, it wasn't like I was unwelcome, but they were like, the kid who's not drinking and smoking is here. That's weird. You know? Um, so it just was it just wasn't I, I, just nobody. I definitely think I'm lucky and I'm, I guarantee people said weird things about said things about me, but I just don't care. It didn't get to me. And when those comments, when I would hear, it's like, oh, oh, where's Robin? I just like, I don't give a shit, man. I freak flag, fly it. It doesn't matter. Um, So definitely lucky. Yeah. And, you know, my dad was like a pretty traditional guy, you know, like he wasn't uh, with gay cousins and stuff. And it wasn't like he wasn't giving them hugs. My mom would like, we're very open. Like I'm not a bigot or anything because of my mom. My dad, I'm sure was one. (laughs) <laughs> no doubt, but like there was a joke in our family. One of my family members was a TV producer for that WGN in Chicago, and he quit producing TV to go be a uh, flight attendant. And so the, jerk wa- the joke was George was so gay. He became a flight attendant just to let everybody know that was his joke. So like, that was a joke in our family that, that you know, like, so it was just one of those things. We just grew up that way. So I definitely just think it was okay. Um, I feel bad for people who aren't that way, who weren't allowed to be. Um, so I, I definitely was lucky. I mean, they left me alone. They were just like you get good grades, you don't go to jail. You've got. J- I worked. You know, I did everything right. So they were just like, "Go be weird." <laughs> Again, I didn't have a lot of friends. I like my, my high school class was one of the smallest class. I mean, I went from a little tiny shit white town in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, and um, and and the thing about it is, is like I just truly, truly. There is not one person from a graduating high school class with whom I'm still in contact. I don't wish any of them ill. I don't dislike any of them. They just weren't actually my friends. We were so different. And so I made my own little weird tribe, my cousin and Beck, and then below me, my friend Heath. And there was another Tony. We called him Little Tony because he was smaller than me. He was so small, I could pick him up and do the, he would be the guy from the beginning of Batman 89. Um, I could pick him up and he'd go, what are you? I'd go, I'm Batman. And I could throw him. Like that's how small he was. So we called him little. Tony. So that was the thing to do. That's not see how that's not very cool. And so I I definitely think it just kept me. These people kept me company. They were my friends. I'm really, I'm like, these characters mean a lot to me. Like I can remember certain things in my life. So I definitely think that's what kept me in is I related to Tim Drake in such a weird way. Um, Again, he was the first comic book character that I thought, Oh, Here's the path to, like, I, I'm not Robin, but I could be. Tim Drake is the first time I thought, oh, I didn't have to experience tragedy or whatever. You just be like a smart kid who figures things out. There's a reward for that. You know, and um, the rebooting of Batgirl, of course, she's a ballerina and a gymnast and all these other things. She has photographic memory, which I don't have. But again, she's still just a normal, right? Her dad's a cop. You know, it's like she, you can just like, you're rewarded for being smart and her role as Oracle. You're kind of like, oh, I get, I get you. I get what you're doing there. So I just think these people were just my friends that kept me company. Um, There's also like that level of hope in there. You know, there's that idea of doing what you think is right. Like Bruce Wayne does what he thinks is right. Not what is right. He's a maniac. Bruce Wayne is insane. He should be in Arkham Asylum. But he does what he thinks he's right. And so there's something about these characters. Han Solo, right? That... You know, that anti-hero character. Um, he does what he thinks is right. And in the end, he does the right, air quotes, right thing. But it takes him, his, he has to have his own way to get there. You know, I always liked Han better than Luke. And everybody did because that first movie, Mark Hamill's terrible in it. Right? He's like, oh, we're going to go get the power converters. And Noom and I would always be like, this is Luke Skywalker coming at you live from Crybabyland. land Wah. And so we, you know, it was like, that was a thing. We would just say that randomly. And so this just idea of these people mattered to me. And I saw the movies a million times and I saw in R- Raiders of the Lost Ark every Tuesday for three months in a row. And th- I just, they, they kept me company. They kept me safe in a way, um, definitely kept me out of trouble. And when everybody else was out doing shit and falling asleep, you know, drunk in a field and lucky to not vo- choke on their own vomit, I was just at home, you know, hanging out in the mansion with Kitty Pride. So I was okay. So I just think that's what kept me safe kept me sane, gave me hope. Like they are also very creative, you know, comic books and science fiction and fantasy movies. They're very inventive. And while I don't write that kind of stuff, I like to watch it just seeing, oh, you can tell all kinds of stories, all kinds of ways. So it just kept me telling stories. And I've always written short stories and uh, written books and stuff. So I just think, I think that's what it was. It was just a way to be, um, there's those people who succeed in these things that we love, they're also freaks right most people like colin jost is a great example he is mr scarlett johansson he is the he is the head writer of saturday night live and he hosts the news on saturday night live right now he's married to scarlett so he's this like rich white guy from long island who would have been fine no matter what you know what i mean like he's the rarity in art Most of the people who get really famous and really successful and not even famous, but like have careers, people who are cinematographers and people who are storyboard artists, they were all the weirdos. And you see that like there's very few, very successful artists who were like, yeah, everything was fine. Always. Like I didn't have a weird thing that I did when I was a kid or I didn't come from a broken home or whatever. And that's why we hold them up. as like, oh, well, anybody could be Oprah. No, no, you can't be Oprah. Like her life story. Like she's she's a fluke but it's because of her need to do whatever it was she's doing that like weird drive. And when you look at art, all of artists are the weirdos. And so I just think reading the comics, which is about weirdos, literally in suits, spandex punching people, and the people who write them, they must also identify with them. And so, and pre-internet, you didn't know anything about them. And, you know, you didn't have a clue. But when the image revolution happened right after I graduated from college and you're like, these guys were all like sticking it to the man. They're like even moving away. They're like, somehow comic books became too corporate. We're going to start image comics and we're going to do our own thing, which is exactly like the thing we're doing over here, but we're going to do it on our own. And that was super inspiring. Like people are always pushing the limits too, you know? So there's no budget in comic books. And so your your mind is unlimited. And it's just, it just was a great place to be. And um, sometimes too, you know, I write realistic fiction, but so sometimes I want to just, sit and watch a science fiction show for an hour because there's still a structural element I can learn from that. Because if I can make a believable character in Star Wars or in... Part of the stick the original, the prequel trilogy gets is the bad acting and everything. But, you know, Anakin was a grumpy, awful teenager. He was a dick. Everybody hates him. You know, Hayden Christensen is not a good actor, but he was giving the performance he should be giving, right? You know, like, Anakin in that second movie is he's a moody teenager who's joined a religious cult and taken a vow of chastity. Well, I'd be pretty grumpy too. And so you still find something to relate to and there's something we can all relate to with these characters. And so I just, there's an inspiration there for me in my own work. Like what's a story to tell, even if without a fantastical force, my, you know, element, there's no Jar Jar Binks, but what is being, what's being told there? There's a kid who's being told what not to do and he's reacting poorly. That's an element. That's a story I can use in a regular piece of fiction. Because what he does and what she and then you think about like, you know, how Padme reacts because she's older. And what would a a woman who's twenty who's interested in a seventeen year old boy, how would she react? She would probably react like this. She'd probably be a little too bossy at first. And so even though there's midi chlorines and all this other bullshit happening, there's still a good story at the root of it. And so I think there's just I think you have to be a better storyteller to tell science fiction and fantasy because you, you know, if you're just like throwing a bunch of nonsense words at the wall and hoping they stick, people won't believe it. It's still character-driven. There's still something has to happen. So there's just always a real element to this non-real stuff. I just care a lot about it. And it's it's, again, nobody told me not to care. Nobody told me it was stupid to care. So I cared. And you know, I didn't make my kids... I mean that's not true. I mean I made my kids watch Buffy. My two girls, and then Kaylin Lee's oldest, um, she watched Buffy later. And we did nerd the kids out. We like give them books. Still to this day, we'll just they'll randomly open their door and there's a book that we sent them. Still do it. My youngest, I sent her that Andy Weir book, um, Project Hail Mary. She texted me yesterday, got the book because she's a scientist. She's getting a degree in science, and it's a it's a work of fiction, but it's about science. And I was like, she's gonna love this. So we just, we've always encouraged them, but I never like, they didn't watch, I didn't force Star Wars on them when they were little, little, Harry Potter was a big deal in their life. So I let that be, um, they did, they could recite, to be fair, Rock and Roll High School. I I did make them watch that and they ended up loving that. So they, at a young age, they knew all the Ramones and when Tommy was replaced by Marky and when CJ, like they knew all that stuff, (laughs) That the important stuff, they could sing, At age six and seven, they could sing Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band" in order. Important stuff like that. But, um, you know, like as far as Star Wars and Star Trek and some of the science fiction stuff, I let them come to that on their own because, again, um, they didn't say, oh, what's that? And when they did, I was like, okay, let's sit and watch it. You know, uh, I let them come to that on their own because that's kind of how I got it. Nobody said, watch this and love it. It was just, I loved it. So whatever nerdy stuff they wanted to do, except for, you know, the Ramones and Buffy, they had no choice. Um, but, I, but they ended up loving that. My, my, um, my oldest daughter, uh, Emma, said to me the other day that the reason that uh, Emma thinks um, that Emma's non-binary, so they is the pronoun, so I'll explain why I'm about to use they. for. You're like, you just said daughter. So the reason that Emma said that they are the way they are is because of Buffy. That being, being able to, to, by watching Buffy as a kid, Emma was able to see people who were different and who were accepted and loved and had their own group and found their own tribe. And that seeing Willow and Tara together and seeing strong women do whatever that helped Emma feel comfortable to be the person Emma is. So awesome, mission accomplished, well done Buffy. So like, I'm proud of that, that that was something that came out of that. And um, that's not really in Star Wars, right? That's a bunch of dudes, literally with glowing dicks, literally of a a virtual, a lit up pissing contest is what's happening every Star Wars battle. So let's. Sorry, Mike. I love it, but let's acknowledge what's happening. Um, There was a live action Peter Pan when they were kids, um, which was amazing. Jason Isaacs played Hook and I don't know if you ever saw it. It is so good it's actually where my tinkerbell action figure comes from ludovine this this french model um played tinkerbell and um uh pj hogan i think he's the son of dracodile dundee i want to say that's why he's pj paul jr i'm pretty sure he's the director anyway it was great it was live action jason isaac owns it um There's a new live action one coming. I'll see them all. I don't care. I love Peter Pan. But I took them to see that because that was important to me. And they didn't know. Like in this, you know, Tinkerbell dies in the original. And then, you know, they bring her back to life. And so I didn't let them know. So there was like this. They went to see it. That was their first real experience of of Peter Pan. And I'm like on the edge of my seat. And when Tink dies, like Emma like dropped her head. She was like, I don't know, five. And she was so upset. But I was like, you know, and then we all clap. I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. And there's this like. And they were all excited. And so there was this real amazing moment in the theater with my kids, like getting excited, like I believe in fairies. And so it was, it was great. So there were a few things like that, that I made them, I made them listen to they might be giants, which I think are the most creative, inventive, amazing, bizarre band of all time. So they listened to a lot of weird music. Um, Emma did say green days, American idiot was life-changing for her as a child too, hearing American idiot way too young to hear American idiot, but because, Oh, here's the music that's, it's arguing against what's happening in the world. So um, so we listen to music and stuff uh, way more than anything. But yeah, just whatever they were interested in, it, I didn't care. Um, if You want to do whatever. Our youngest um, is in the process of dabbling in Judaism, converting to Judaism. So we acknowledge that. I sent Rachel a, and we're not religious people at all, but it was something Rachel was interested in. So we're like, what do you need? What's this, you know, how do we help you? And she's like, I got it. But, you know, so like we send little notes and stuff on, you know, Jewish holidays to support her on that. So whatever, we never cared. Whatever you want to do, go do. Go to college, don't go to college. Be a person. Um, and we, our big encouragement was get out of your own gene pool. Like none of them live in their hometowns. So that is a, that's a big thing for us. Because, you know, mid-Michigan hometowns are full of crazy tinfoil hat on red hat people. But anyway, yeah. So they're all different ones. A, um, one of the girls is a, um, is an artist. Actually, she's quite a talented artist, uh, but she's a, a special ed teacher. And then Emma is in Chicago with uh, Emma's partner, Elle. They were on the show um, and Elle is getting two master's degrees and Emma's working for Northwestern and Kieran's working in Ohio. Um, she and her boyfriend are looking at a, getting a place and she's uh works at a gas station there and Rach is still in school. She's still an undergrad up in in upper Michigan to be a um, scientist. She's getting a degree in medical lab science, but we talked the other day, it looks like she's gonna go get a degree in, uh, a doctorate in immunology, so to study diseases. That's the plan. So they all just do different stuff. (laughs) Sociology and uh, yeah, it's all whatever they wanna do, yeah. So we, you know, we're proud of all of them. They all are self-sufficient and doing what they do. Yeah. And they all like different stuff. Like the one who lives in Ohio, she's big into like fashion and she knows all kinds of shit. Like she says words I don't understand. Um, you know, she's big into like makeup and, and um, like gets all that stuff and gets what things are and gets what names are. And like that's important and like always is put together like always looks like a million bucks, even when she's like, I'm going to go to the gas station to work at 7am and I'm going to look like I'm going to the runway. And that's how she expresses herself. And that's awesome. And we never, you know, that's great. And, you know, um, the rest of them don't wear makeup at all. And, you know, Emma's not binary and has a uh, partner who's transitioning from female to male. And so like, whatever, whatever you got to do, we just love them all and just do and be. And we never told them no to stuff like that, you know, like don't touch the hot stove and don't be an asshole. Like, The rules were don't lie and don't whine and don't be rude. And if you cannot do those things, everything else should probably be okay. We made them all work. That was the one thing we made them do at 14, 15, go get a job. So then they had to like learn how to be around other people. And uh, so it was good. They're all just giant nerds. My wife's a librarian. So also a nerd. Again, the world's smallest book club. of two. It's pretty cool. I mean... It is a pretty cool uh, book club. I am reading a collection of essays about, um, the, about wealth, about the wealth gap in Chicago. It's called H- Having and Being Had. And it's this woman who's like coming to grips with the fact that she's middle class, but doesn't understand how she got there. So she's like comparing herself to her neighbors. It's really fast. It's fiction, but it reads a little like poetry almost. It's really fascinating to think about it from that perspective of, oh, you think I'm rich, but I think you're rich. I think that person's rich and I think I'm just barely getting by. So it's like a cool way to think about money. So we'll be, Lee's already read it. So that will be a topic for discussion probably tomorrow. I should be finished with that book. So that's the book club talk.
1: (laughs) In normal life. Do you think people treat you differently when they find out that you're into geek stuff that like when you enjoy comics, do you think people look at you slightly differently or treat you differently?
0: That is, that is tough because I am because I am such a homebody. Um, I, I, and I don't like where I live now. I generally don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm friendly with my neighbors, but I'm not friends with anybody really. Um, so I don't think, so. I suspect probably, I know that like we're kind of social pariahs because we just like to be kept to ourselves, you know? So um, probably, you know, we're because generally if you're like big into art and that kind of thing, you're probably going to be a little more left, lefty leaning. And I'm in a very red, righty leaning area. So I think there's something to that for sure. Um, I, you know, I think it just, so, so in my normal, every day to day life, it doesn't come up. I, um, because there are, there'll be sometimes once a week, I'll see other people. That's not somebody online. Right. And those are people I'm choosing to see or my wife. So, um, I, I, when I was teaching on ground, it definitely could be problematic depending on which university where I was teaching. Cause some are a little more, you know, conservative where I had to wear a suit and everything. So I couldn't really express myself at that place. And so I have um, a whole collection of fedoras, like, grew, you know, my, half of my family are Italian, so we just grew up wearing hats. I'm um, a hat guy. I got a bunch of fedoras. Hey. So some of them are, like, old, like, old, old, like, hundred-year-old fedoras. And um, so I would wear those. So if you're making me wear a suit, if I got to wear a shirt and tie to work every day, I'm going to wear a fedora. And I used to get, that was too far. Like, I would literally get notes in my mailbox, like, leave the hat at home. Leave the hat in your car. It became an issue just wearing a fedora at this place, and I was like, I was like, yeah, but you know, I don't wear it while I'm teaching. And since I don't have an office, I was an adjunct. I'd walk in to the classroom with my coat on. You don't make me leave my jacket in the car. Like if I have a winter jacket over my suit jacket, you don't make me take that off in the car. You let me wear that in the room and then take it off. So wearing like a Winter jacket over suit looks absurd, but wearing a fedora with a suit doesn't look absurd, in my opinion. I didn't wear it while I was teaching. I just wear it into my classroom and set it down. So, like, in those moments, like, being weird there, being a freak there was a problem. Um, it kept me, the hat kept me from getting a full-time job there, without a doubt. I did everything else to asked: Wear the shoes, wear the suit, look nice, you know, did everything you want me to do. The hat was a problem. It was too, I actually had one person said, and this was her grasp of history was clearly wrong. And I corrected her during the interview. So I knew it was a problem, but she's like, I was a finalist for the job. And she's like, I just don't know that you're right for this job. Cause this is a leadership job. And you know, rebels aren't leaders. And I said, do you know anything about this country? I said that right back to her, I'm like, because it was founded by rebels who led. She did not like that answer. It was the wrong thing to say. I didn't I knew I didn't get the job as soon as the words came out of my mouth. Because what she wanted me to say is, Oh, I'll change and do whatever. And I was like, Your history is wrong, ma'am. So um that was definitely (laughs) definitely a problem. Um, you know, I couldn't have shown up to work there wearing like a Batman t shirt or anything like that. I couldn't, you know, couldn't even wear jeans. So that was that was the one time. And I was there for a while, but it was the job that I had. I was geographically bound. My kids were in the neighborhood, you know, so you put up with things that you put up with. I would never get a job at a place like that now. So that's probably it. But for the most part, because I'm in academia, which is full of weirdos too, you know, like there's somebody who has a degree in, you know, Russian literature who didn't just study Russian literature, but studied like one obscure Russian poet that you'd never heard of and got a PhD in that. That's the place where I am. Um, so for the most part, universities, academia, is, is, it's okay to be a little weird. Um, I do work for Catholic nuns now, though. And one day I showed up for a meeting when I was still living in Michigan, and I didn't think about what I was doing beforehand. And I showed up, and I had a shirt on over, but I, didn't button, I forgot to button it up. So I had a Batman shirt on, and it was like a neon yellow bat. And so I walk in, and Sister Sharon, my boss, is like, oh, Batman. I was like, oh, and I just looked down. I totally forgot. She just laughed and let it go. It's not like I, I didn't get fired or anything. But that was the closest. It's caused me trouble at this job. But I, I, I'm good. Like, I'm not on Facebook or anything. Like So I I deliberately, I'm only on comic Twitter. You know, I'm not on the other parts of Twitter. I'm not on the part of Twitter where those people who they hate, like those assholes who like, like one of my favorite One of the best colorists in the business, and she was writing Buffy for a while, Jodie Belair, she had kind of been harassed off of Twitter. She's not on Twitter anymore. It makes me sad because I would always tag her when I would review her stuff. And there is that weird, ugly part of Twitter. And I just, I choose to block those people. So they're out there. I just don't see them. Um, So it's nice. I just choose to be willfully ignorant of the hate. And then I'm okay. I'm sure there's people talking shit about me, but I just don't care. Yeah, it's a choice. To not be around the people who don't, I don't like. I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm not. I'm not like Roger Murtaugh, I'm too old for this shit. But I feel like I am. I'm like I don't. I've. I've. I i have i do not need your nonsense. I don't care enough. Um. I, I'm. I'm one of those people who says just because you're having a party doesn't mean I have to come. Like I don't. That's where I am. So because you want me to do whatever it is you think I should do, I don't care enough about you, and your opinion to do the thing that I don't want to do. You know, it's like, you don't want to go to a meeting. You're like, oh, fuck this meeting. You've been, you know, you everybody's been there. That's work. You don't have a choice. But like, I'm not getting paid. So when my neighbors here, when we first moved in, they're like, oh, we're having this party or this cookout. And I would always say like, you know, we're not those people. We're really introverted. We're fine. Pre-pandemic, you know, we're just like, we're not interested. Plus you've got Trump signs. We didn't say that part, but we thought it. And so we're like, we're not, we don't want to hang out with you. And I was just real honest about it. And it got to the point where then people, one person even said to me, somebody who I like very well and respect, and we get along fine here. She's like, you know, you guys don't make, you're not doing yourself any favors by not showing up at anything. And I was like, yeah, but I, we don't care. We didn't move to this building to make friends for life. We moved to this building because the view is amazing. And there's a pool. That's why we moved here. The end. Those are the two things you had that we wanted. A view of the river and the pool. Everything else... If, if it was a different building that had those things, we would have moved there. But we moved here. You weren't irrelevant. You being here isn't, isn't important enough to us. So I think because that's just kind of our attitude, um, it makes it easier to not care if anybody else talks shit. Because they do. I, we know everybody here is thinks we're those weirdos. That's fine. <laughs> like, we were all so excited when we got Sam's picture. And you know there's probably people who are like, really? You guys are adult men and this is the most exciting thing of your week? It was pretty exciting. A different grown man drew a picture of this group of grown men and we liked it. The end. <laughs> <laughs> There's stuff like uh, last Thanksgiving, two Thanksgivings ago. Good God, time. Um, just up the road for me on the day after Thanksgiving, um, which is not a thing there. Sorry. The day, some, one random day in November, um, there was a live production of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And Joel, the original host of Mystery Science Theater 3000 was on his farewell tour. And Lee actually was the one who saw that, that it was the tickets were coming, sent me a text. And was like, you need to go. She hates that show. She hates it. She cannot stand that they're talking over the movie. There's too much stuff going on. It drives her crazy. But she knows how much I love it. She's like, you totally need to go to this. So I went by myself on a Friday night to see Mr. Science Theater 3000 live. They did No Retreat, No Surrender, for real. It was amazing. The puppets on stage, they did music. It was fantastic. I had a great time just by myself. No problem. She's like, go have fun. Everybody's got a thing. I, I think, see, I think the people who don't get it are people who need the approval of others. And I think right now, Because it's so easy to be a geek. It's very mainstream now. Everybody loves the MCU and everybody loves everybody's watching. I mean, not everybody loved, I have not seen Falcon Winter Soldier yet. I know, sorry, shame. But uh, I loved WandaVision and I know it was pretty divisive. But again, people who had never would have thought they'd watch a weird show like that watch it now. So geek culture is pretty everywhere. But watching it, they watch it because they think they have to. They feel like everybody's watching the MCU movies. So they're going to go. Um, I didn't see Titanic until like 10 years after Titanic. I just saw Top Gun last year. Okay. So I think most people saw it because, oh, that's the thing. It's this big movie. We got to go see Titanic. We got to go see Avatar. That movie looked like a piece of shit and I had no interest in it. And I still have never seen Avatar. It's the, it's made the most money of any movie on the world. I was not interested at all. I mean, not interested, no, and it had Scorny Weaver in it. And that's hard for me to be like, oh, Scorny Weaver's in a movie, I'm going to pass. I did. I totally did. Because it just wasn't interested. But everybody was on that bandwagon. So I think, I think the reason that, um, so what you say to those people who don't get it is they're getting what is the popular part of geek culture now. Right, so if somebody's like wearing a Thor shirt, say, or somebody's wearing a Captain America shirt, and you go like, "Oh my God," blah, 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 and you start talking about Ed Brubaker, and you see their eyes glass over, and that's okay. That's okay. I'm not here to. I'm not one of those geeks who's like, "You've never read the." Blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I don't care. But you. But I think there's people who just like it now because it's trendy, and then when it's not trendy, they'll move on to whatever the next trend is. And so what I think they're not getting is, geek culture, isn't a monolith. It's full of people who love all kinds of things. People who love weird music, like They Might Be Giants, one of my all-time favorite bands. They are so weird. I, I Just the nuttiest shit that they do. One of them just put out an album, this is totally true, an EP that is entirely in Latin. Just because. It's bananas. I could not stop listening to it. When I got it, I was like, I don't know what's happening. This is So interesting that you would put in this kind of energy during lockdown to teach yourself Latin, get a Latin teacher to help you, and then sing it. And he made his son play guitar. It's insane. It was great. So, like, that to me is what, like, a geeky thing to do is to be like, you know what would be funny? Let's make a whole album in Latin. They might be giants could have made a gazillion dollars. They're so talented. They're insanely talented. But they didn't want to quit being the weirdos that they are. They never really broke into mainstream, but they could have but they didn't like they did the Malcolm in the middle theme song. They could have written theme songs all day long. They could have been stars. Right. But they were like, you know, not that they want to be just middle of the road, rock star guys, but they're just like, this is, we're not going to be able to make different music because this isn't who we want to be. We want to be these guys. And so I think, I think what the geek people who, who don't get geek culture are not getting is that we're not all the same. I like the things I like and you like the things you like and they are different things. And, but we respect each other. Geek cultures respect the differences in geek culture. We realize we're not all the same. Where I live, if you've got a red hat on, you believe that anybody else who has a red hat on or who looks like you is like you. Like, and so they, they're not understanding. So right up the road from us is a park we can walk. We can hear it when bands play there, we can hear it. We can hear it from our house. We can open our screen door and we can hear it. It's awesome. So every weekend on Martin Luther King Day, also not a holiday you have, which is a random day in January, um, they have a party. They have a pride parade and they do a drag show there and everything right up the road, which in my little neck of Florida is really a big deal. And so one day when we first moved in here, because I'm like straight white guy, um, one of the other guys, I was said something like, oh, blah, 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 pride this weekend. And the guy was getting ready to make a joke. And so I just walked away from him because I could tell what he was about to do. Because He saw me straight white guy. So he just assumed I'm in the straight white guy, red hat wearing. Let's make fun of the drag queen club. And I was like, let's not do that. Let's not do that. I'm going to walk away from you because I don't I just moved in and I don't want to get arrested. So I'm just going to walk away and not be in the intolerant prick you are. So I think geeks aren't intolerant. Yes, there is a horrible sub sub subsection of toxic fandom that exists. The people who shit on Kelly for her for her performances, Rose in the Star Wars uh, prequels, sequels, pissed me off. I thought she was great. I loved Rose. I thought Rose got jobbed in that final movie. Um, I wanted. I was expecting, and I know she was too. If Carrie Fisher hadn't died, she would have definitely had a bigger role. My hope is Rose gets her own series on Disney Plus because she loves deserves that. But there was a lot of people who didn't like her, and people don't like those sequels not because they're good or bad or whatever because a woman is the star woman is top billing in each of those movies and what are we going to do and it's about a girl this time instead of a white boy straight white guy because Ray I mean at the end she kisses spoiler alert, everybody Um, but I don't know Ray seems like she could be bi right I actually thought Ray was going to be gay the whole time I really did and everybody wants to put Finn and Poe together including the actors they thought that should be the the logical ending is that Finn and Poe so there's like But so there's the people who those toxic fan bros who hate that. But for the most part, everybody's like, that's pretty awesome. And if you dislike the movie, you dislike it for whatever reason, not because there's a girl at the front of it or whatever. So I think what people don't get about geeks is that we love what we love. We are freaks who want other freaks in our life. We want to respect your weirdness. You respect my weirdness. And it's such an open group of people who genuinely respect each other in a way it is that is unlike other groups you know we like i dumped that whole thing on discord the other day about shitting all over quentin tarantino and i know jack and dave love quentin tarantino and i forewarned them both that it was (laughs) i was like just remember you guys are my friends nobody cared i was like oh that's a good point you know it's like my because i wasn't like i had reasons we could debate it we could argue it i don't like him but I get why people do. And I'm not saying you're wrong to like him. I'm saying, I don't know how I'm going to. I just realized at some point I was like, oh, I don't like him. I keep trying to like him. I thought I did. I don't. Um, and so I've moved on, you know, and that's just, and other geeks are cool with that. Whereas if you weren't, you're like, but this is the club. This is the Quentin Tarantino club and you can't stop liking him. You got to continue to like him forever. Or we're not going to be your friends anymore. I think that's what non-geeks are. If you put a red hat on, you're going to storm the Capitol because you can't ever go like, hey, Maybe I miscalculated this red hat and um, because the people in my country who've done that have been kicked out of their own party or ostracized or lose positions of power or whatever. So, but geeks would never do that. We would never kick you out of the club for not liking whatever. I don't like Guardians 2. I still have a show on this network. I'm not interested in the Suicide Squad because I don't like James Gunn. If it weren't free on HBO, I wouldn't watch it. That's a fact. Like when it comes out, if HBO's on, I'll watch it. If not, I don't care. I don't like James Gunn. I'm not a fan. Unimpressed. Everybody else thinks, oh, Guardians are the best. That's awesome. I'm glad you love those. That's great. You should love those. We don't have to hate each other because we have a difference of opinion on that. I think in other parts, non-geek parts of the world, a difference of opinion leads to huge division. That's what they're missing. If they just let their freak flag fly, then you could just accept other geeks for what they love and love that they love it. I mean, nobody loves things more than Steve. I mean, what Steve loves, he loves. But Steve, we all know secretly, Steve hates Superman 4. There's one thing we know, but he doesn't talk about it, right? Because he doesn't like it. And so when we know our friend from down under, Steve Oz loves Superman 4. They're still talk. They're still friends. You know what I mean? So it's like, whereas in other circles, that thing about just liking Superman 4 could be like, we can't be friends over that. Geeks aren't that way. You love the thing that you love. Yeah, and I think it's okay. I mean, I just defended Hudson Hawk. I mean, that show that Spider-Dan has, you know, that's what, when we do um, comics on trial, it's about us defending a thing that's unpopular because, you know, like Chris went on and tried to, you know, Take down Ghostbusters. It didn't work. But he tried. You know, he was willing to have an unpopular opinion. And that was the whole gist behind that show is let us all go on and state something that we that we believe that is totally unpopular. And knowing at the end of the day, whoever's in on that, we're all still pals. And it's a way to show discourse. And I think geek culture shows how to have healthy debate. And which we don't have anymore.
1: from Tony on Indie Comics Spotlight and Season's Greetings, both available on the Comics in Motion podcast feed. You can find Tony's views and reviews on fantasticuniverses.com, dccomicsnews.com and audiophilemagazine.com. the website, com. Geek is a super dummy production for Fantastic Universes. Find out more at fantasticuniverses.com superdummy.co.uk slash geek. You can contact the show on Twitter at Era of Geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk. You can support the show and fantastic universes by joining our Patreon patreon.com slash fantastic universes.
0: I will admit to being a bigot against bigots like If you are like, if you've got a sign up that says, you know, God hates queers. I'm not your friend. We're not going to be friends. That's, that's too far for me. But if you have a sign held up that says Batman stinks, we can be friends. That's fine. You know what I mean? It's like, so I feel like, because that's a, again, I don't know why you'd hold up a sign that says Batman. So you could just be like, yeah, I don't really like Batman. Okay. You don't have to, Um, you know, so I just think your reasoning behind it is also there. And I just think geeks in general, are more open but i will freely admit that i am definitely a bigot against bigots i have a problem with racist sexist homophobes and if you're one of those things it's going to be hard for me to have a conversation with you but i think most people aren't those things and so we can debate all the rest of the stuff didn't mean to get all super political sorry but that's the difference i think geeks in general don't want to get don't want to be that way we don't understand like it doesn't make sense why do you care like why do you care if two boys are kissing why do you care? Like when uh, Iceman came out, Bobby Drake came out, like that was a big deal in the X-Men world. Cause you know, the X-Men are always have kind of been, uh, you know, a metaphor for being gay, for being different, right? You got to come out as a mutant and all this stuff. It's all right there. So it's like, why did it take so long to finally have an out, you know, mutant? And it makes sense that it's Bobby and that's all good. But um, that was a problem for some people. Like when Alan Scott Green Lantern, when they, you know, made him gay, people were like, oh, got to ruin everything and this woke agenda and social justice where like no it's like this is real and it's reflecting the readership and it's showing acceptance and love and so you know to me if you're one of those people who's like i'll never read a comic book again once they made alan scott gay i'm like you didn't even know who alan scott was you thought green lantern was hal jordan stop shut your mouth you know i don't want to hear i don't want to hear that bullshit so because anybody who knew who alan scott was didn't care you know, so it's like what <laughs> so sorry, that was my that was my rant at the end. Going out strong, buddy.